This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Gratitude, something we tend not to think about much in the modern world today. Yes, the there are holidays dedicated to it. In America and Canada, we have the Thanksgiving holidays. And in other Western countries, there's often a, an equivalent of Thanksgiving. And it's those days where we tend to turn our minds towards being thankful for the things that we have. Thanksgiving is coming up soon in about just under two months. This year has gone by very quickly, but we don't spend enough time on gratitude. Gratitude for towards those who have played important roles in our lives, family, friends, even adversaries, and gratitude towards God for the things he's blessed us with and including the crosses he's given us to carry. For it is in uniting our sufferings to our blessed Lord through those crosses that we can achieve sanctity. And so today I have for you a short essay by G.K. Chesterton, one of the many forgotten things he's written. This one is called The Philosophy of Gratitude. I received a little while ago a letter to which no name or address was attached, which touched me beyond expression. A great deal of it was too personal to treat of here, and for this reason especially I regret the concealment of its origin. But the more generally discussable part concerned itself chiefly with a query as to by meaning when I said in this paper something to this effect. No one can be miserable who has known anything worth being miserable about. The remark was written as remarks in daily papers ought, in my opinion, to be written, in a wild moment. But it happens, nevertheless, to be more or less true. What I meant was that our attitude towards existence, if we have suffered deprivation, must always be conditioned by the fact that deprivation implies that existence has given us something of immense value. To say that we have lost in the lottery of existence is to say that we have gained, for existence gives our money beforehand. It is quite impossible to imagine ourselves as really calling, as Huxley expressed it, the cosmos to the bar. Let me endeavor to indicate by a kind of apo apology or parallel what the trial of the cosmos would really be. A white-haired, ragged man is convicted of having stolen a handkerchief from an old gentleman in the street, and is examined before the judge. Suppose he is convicted. And suppose after he is convicted, he is able to say blandly and with unimpeachable argument, It was my handkerchief. That is the position of God or nature, or what you will. Suppose again that the judge and the court are in some doubt about his reply. The man says still very humbly, It was my handkerchief. I made it. Made it, the judge will say. What did you make it out of? Out of nothing, replies the prisoner and waves his hand. Sixty handkerchiefs flutter down out of the empty air. The judge is startled and looks keenly at the meek prisoner. Nevertheless, he continues. You may have made the handkerchief, though in this somewhat irregular way, and so far, of course, it may be yours. All the same, you seized it from this old gentleman. The prisoner coughs slightly and looks embarrassed. The fact is, he says, the fact is I made the old gentleman too. What did I hear you observe? inquires the judge, with deadly placidity. Made the what? Made the old gentleman, rejoins the prisoner. I can make sixty more if you like. He waves his hand. Instead of one old gentleman at the prosecutor's post, looking justly indignant, there are immediately sixty old gentlemen exactly alike in a row, all looking justly indignant. The judge confers with the clerk and the foreman of the jury. The incident is one for which it is difficult for the moment to find a precedent. At length, the judge says, You do certainly seem to have some claims over the prosecutor, having produced him out of space in a somewhat careless way, but your offense against the court itself 
your demeanor towards your, myself. I, I'm really terribly sorry, says the prisoner, blushing, but the fact is I made you too. I'm sure I'm very proud of it. Made me, begins the judge, purple in the face. Alas, the prisoner has already waved his hand, and there are already sixty other judges, all purple in the face. Then the prisoner, who has made all things, steps up the tribunal, his white hair flaming like a silver crown and looks down upon the things he has made. Now, these are the conditions of any protest against what Stevenson called the essential decency of things. When existence destroys the flower, it is not sufficient for us to say that we admired it. The question is not whether we admired the flower. The question is whether we could, in the primal darkness of non-entity, have imagined a flower, and then by the spasm of divine creation made it. When a great man is ended in a railway accident, the question is not merely whether we would have invented the railway accident, it is whether we could have invented the great man. The whole question in which the existence of religion is involved is whether, while we have feelings about the catastrophic, we are or are not to have feelings about the normal. That, while we curse our luck for a house on fire, we are to thank anything for a house. If we come upon a dead man, we start back in horror. Are we not to start with any generous emotion when we come upon a living man? That far greater mystery. Are we to have any gratitude for the positive miracles of life? We thank a man for passing the mustard. Is there indeed nothing that we can thank for the man who passes it, for the great, fat, living, two-legged, two-eyed fairy tale? who by the mystical avenues of ears and hands is magically agitated to pass the mustard. Is the offering to us of that creature so small a civility that we shall not even say a word about it? No, most men have felt that we should say a word. Most men have felt that many words even should be said in the matter. And so great cathedrals have risen in this land, and little churches in every parish, and immense religions over every part of the earth, and vast theological philosophies, and vast theological cosmologies, and vast systems of heaven and earth and hell, with praises and sacrifices, because men refused to regard the mustard as of more value to us than the man who passed it. If they gave thanks for one, they must give thanks for the other. And so temples have been built. The man who passes the mustard ought to have a statue outside each of them. A little silly in his, some of his, his language? Yes. That was by G.K. Chesterton. And he likes to, to address basic, obvious things that we tend not to think about by using sometimes absurd language. We are to give gratitude, really, for everything in life. I once had a priest in confession tell me, instead of praying in Our Father and Hail Mary or whatnot it was, he wanted me to pray in Thanksgiving for things I've never thanked God for before. I actually don't like that as penance because it uh, starts making you rack your brain a little bit. But then that's probably the point of it, isn't it? To really reflect on the things that God has given us in life. We show a remarkable lack of gratitude for everything we have. Even in this like bizarre situation that our societies are in, where everything seems to be going off the rails and accelerating towards a cliff. In a weird way, maybe we should give gratitude to that. For at least we can see evil for what it is. Or we are getting a hint of it at least. Whether that's evil in the church or it's evil in the broader culture, at least we should have enough gratitude and enough self-awareness to admit that we can finally see things, and we should be grateful for that. Gratitude in all things. Even as Chesterton said, you know, gratitude for the man who passes the mustard at the dinner table, and that that man should have a statue outside of a church. Again, it's gratitude for those who are in all our lives and have done much for us. I personally have gratitude for the people who watch my channel every day, and who support the work I do. It's 
truly mind-blowing to me. <laughs> God is mysterious in that way. Anyway, let me know what you thought of Chesterton's lesson here. If, despite his kind of odd silliness, you uh, found it, um, you know, thought-provoking. He published it back in, I think it was 1903. So this is a 120-year-old essay that he wrote for a little newspaper early in his uh, career. And he was one of the great Catholic writers, a convert himself. He was one of the great Catholic writers of the 20th century. Remembered, unfortunately, for too few things when he had a remarkable output of writing. Again, let me know what you thought of this. And uh, like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to share this on social media, that helps too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.